I'm seated at a table in uh, 2021. We might need to be reminded of what the table really is for. Because uh, the table, uh, a lot of times in our homes, sits empty uh, throughout the whole day, even in the evenings because of our schedules. But the table is a place for us to be in fellowship with one another, to dine together. And uh, it's that thought that I want to share with you this morning as we refocus some priorities in our lives. Because this is the time to do it. And so, um, what I want to start off with is this idea of what I would like to accomplish by the end of my time with you this morning. Number one is, I hope that by the time we're done, that each and every one of you, and I've prayed this specifically over each and every one of you, that you would walk out of this place going, man, I really am loved. And I'm not... Please forgive me, but I'm not talking in a churchy way. I'm talking genuine, you walk out of here going, he really likes me. Because my favorite moments with the Lord is when I'm done spending time with him, I smile and I say, he really likes me. And I want that for you this morning. I have prayed. That when you walk out of here, every single one of you, and you young people, are you kidding me? I love the youth that are in this room, and I especially want to say to the youth, if you can, to the best of your ability, pay attention to me. Because what I want to lay out for you today could be life-changing, and what a time for you as young people to learn to do this today. Because you will be better off than I am at my age today. The first goal is I want us to walk out of here going, he really likes me. And the second goal is to remind ourselves why we should sit at the table. We live in a very broken world. It is messy. I'm no prophet. The Lord has not given me any words specifically about this, but I can almost assure you it's not going to get any better. We, the songs that we worship to this morning, critical words. Critical words. But in order for us to fulfill and live out those words that we declared, it is absolutely vital that we sit at the table and we expose ourselves to his truth. I'm telling you, from my heart to your heart, the only way that we're going to get through this chaos is by exposing ourselves to his truth. And so, what I want to do today is I want to talk about Psalm 23, 5. So one of the things that I do, I have a table in my house, it's a desk, and I go to it every day. From April of 2016, I have made it a declaration in my life to sit at the table. Even if it's only three minutes, I can pick up some crumbs, and in the power and the name of Jesus, those crumbs can be enough to get me through the day. Do not underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit even with crumbs. And so every day I sit at the table. I sit and I open up his word. And so let me tell you, Psalm 23. You've been around the church. If you haven't been around the church, everybody knows Psalm 23. I'm a hospice chaplain. I get to walk in the darkest season of the lives of people who are about to die. And my first visit with them 
because they don't know me and I don't know them and not everyone is a believer, but I'm there for spiritual support. And so the first place we always start on every one of my first visits, Psalm 23. And I get to pray Psalm 23 over them. And Psalm 23, back in 2016, became an anchor for my soul. And so at periods, at times in my life on a journey, I will feel the Lord saying, all right, let's go back to the anchor for a little while. I hope that you have an anchor. And if you don't, let me encourage you to start seeking the Lord and asking the Lord to lead you to a scripture that becomes your anchor so that when you kind of get off course or maybe you get a little bit overwhelmed, you come back to the anchor and you sort of kind of breathe and eat and drink that in and just go, oh yeah, that's right. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. So start asking the Lord to lead you to an anchor. Minus 23, verse 5. And so I've gone to it numerous times, but three weeks ago, three weeks ago, I hear the Lord saying, let's go back to the anchor. And honestly, here, just give me some grace. And sometimes I go, really? Psalm 23, six verses, you want to go back? And let me tell you, what happened three weeks ago is going to come out today. Psalm 23, five, here's the verse. It's really simple. He prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I don't even need to say anything else. Think about that. Psalm 23, 5. He has prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, three weeks ago, I go back and I feel like the journey that the Lord wants me to go on, and I'm excited to share this because you're the first people that I get to share this with. But I have not read anywhere in commentaries, I've not read anywhere the context of why David wrote Psalm 23. And so as I begin to sit at the table with my Jesus and have conversation with his word open, and he does most of the talking, by the way, which is good, We can talk, but let him do most of the talking. And I begin to catch on to phrases that I hadn't caught before. That's what I love about the word. It's alive and active, and he is always in the process of making us more like him. Psalm 23, how many times can I go to it? And every time I go to it, there's something new, and I'm like, God, you are so good. I love it. And all of a sudden, it it dawned on me. I think Psalm 23 was written after David had done something stupid. I really do. Because if you look at verse 3, the word restore, that word actually means repent. Which means, if he has to repent, he sinned. Now, I can't tell you, honestly, I can't tell you the context. Now, I want to just say real quickly, I think it's when he, in 1 Samuel 24 and 26, if you remember, Saul is after David. Saul is jealous of David, and Saul wants nothing but to kill David. And in 1 Samuel 24 and 1 Samuel 26, David has opportunities to kill Saul. In fact... David's men are with him and says, I think the Lord has handed him into your presence. And what does David say? Both times. I will not touch 
the Lord's anointed. What? I'm amazed. But listen to 1 Samuel 27, 1. I'm paraphrasing it. David comes to this place of saying, I need to do something because Saul's going to get me. And do you know what David does? He crosses over into enemy territory, the Philistines. He goes and lives with the enemy for 16 months. Not 16 days, not six weeks, 16 months. David is living with the enemy. The the Philistines are the thorn in the flesh to the Israelites, and David's living with the Philistines. He thinks in his mind, the only way that I can escape Saul is to go over there. And it gets worse. David, in enemy territory, begins to think, maybe I'll fight with the Philistines against your own people. See what begins to happen when you cross enemy territory? You think you're doing a wise thing, but boy, you're playing some dangerous games. And David begins to think, I'll just fight with the Philistines. And God intervenes. And causes the pagan kings, there's five of them. Four of the five says, we don't trust him. Get him out of here. And so King Achish has to go to David and say, you're gone. And David says, why? What? David's upset. The enemy has begun to impact David's life in a negative way. Remember that. That's how it works. So thankfully, David comes to his senses, basically because the Lord has intervened with these pagan kings and said, get out of here. So he goes back. When they get back to where they came from, they find out that the other enemies had taken their wives and children. And the men around David wanted to stone him and kill him. And finally, in verse 6 of 1 Samuel 30, It says that David turned to the Lord and found strength. Which is what David should have done in 1 Samuel 27. But friends, it happens. No justification. But boy, I am glad to be in company with David. Because sometimes we do lose our way. So Psalm 23. Psalm 23 could be quite possibly a reflection of David's journey from 1 Samuel 27 through 1 Samuel 30th. I don't know. Maybe it's even after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. I don't know. But the reality is this. David has made a foolish decision and it has created for him some tension between him and the Lord and it has created in David's life some enemies. We all in this room know what it's like to have enemies. And if you don't think you have enemies, you have more than you realize. Just want to be honest. We know what it's like to have enemies. And if we can't talk people form, let's talk about enemies like anxiety, depression. Those are enemies. Anything that keeps us from getting to the table with the Lord is an enemy. Anything. And so, David hears these words. From the Lord. Maybe you need to hear these words from the Lord one more time. I have prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. 
I don't know of a greater invitation than that, friends. Now, can, let's be honest just for a few moments. See if you sometimes function like I do, okay? Let's think, let's use our imagination a little bit. So what I do at my house, honestly, this is what I do for my own spiritual journey, is that I picture Jesus sitting at my table 24-7 all the time. Uh, Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice, lets me in. What's he promised? I will come in. I will dine with you. And you will dine with me. And so first of all, if you have not invited him in, he's not going to come in unless you invite him in. He wants to come in. He would love to kick down that door and come in. But he wants you to invite him in. And then when you invite him in, buckle up, because it is good. I will dine with you, and you will dine with me. And so, what's our enemies? Imagine David, okay? The Lord says to David, I've made a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And David says, wow. Lord, thank you so much, but... My enemies are right there. I don't think this is a good time for me to sit at a table and eat a meal. How often we do that. I'm serious. How often we do that. Lord, I've got, I got some pressing things. I got a project. It's due. Rain check for tomorrow? I heard somebody say, Tomorrow belongs to the enemy. Today belongs to the Lord. Don't wait for tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Come to the table. David, David, Lord, I don't feel worthy. And you know what the Lord says? David, my table not your table. This is my table, and I'm inviting you to come sit at my table. Come up with all your excuses as much as you want to, but the reality is I know exactly who you are. I know exactly what you're about, and regardless of any of those, I'm still inviting you to the table because I am. I am. I am all that you need. The Lord is my shepherd. He is all that I need. There's no excuses. None. Zilch. He has made and prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. You know what some of you need to do today? Find a piece of paper and you probably need to start writing out some enemies that are keeping you from the table. Let's call it out. Let's get it out. The Lord already knows and he's still inviting you to the table. How about you get it out and let's deal with it. And as, 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 as soon as you can, write those enemies out. Write them out. You may end up with a page full of enemies. And then you know what I want, to, want you to do with that paper and those enemies? I want you to give them over to the Lord. And then I want you to take that paper and burn it. And say no more. There's no more excuses. The Lord longs to be with you. I love Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 4. He has brought me into his banqueting table. Banqueting table and his banner over me 
is what? Love. Steadfast, unshakable, unmovable love. He really does like me. He really does like me. Oh, to sit at the table. No cares, no worries, no stress. Do you know what we communicate? There's two things that we communicate when we sit at the table. Number one, I trust you, Lord. Have you ever thought about that? When you and I discipline ourselves to be in the word, we are declaring to the Lord, I trust you. There's a second statement we're making. We're making a declaration to the enemy. Almost as if we're looking at the enemy going, do you see where I'm at? You got nothing on me. If you want, you got matters, take it up with him. He does my battles for me. David has learned this in a hard season. And I'm so glad that Psalm 23, 5 is in the scriptures. That's my anchor. And sometimes life is crazy. Oh, but to sit at the table is so peaceful. It's like the tree, the apple tree in uh, Song of Solomon 2, 3. You sit under the apple tree and you feel his protection and you receive his resources. You just sort of kind of sit under the shade. You reach up. You grab a big, red, juicy apple, and you just take a bite, and you just got to wipe the, the juice coming off your chin because that's what he does for us when we sit at the table. So let's have a little bit of fun with this, okay? Because some of us in this room, we're going, well, JT, I got, I got some enemies. I got some enemies. Because here's, here's the deal. Sometimes in our lives... We have a tendency to allow the enemies to drown out the bigness of who God is. I'm guilty of that, and so are you. But the beauty is when you and I sit at the table, we begin to look with him, we dine with him, he begins to be bigger. By the way, he is big. Let's remember that. But every time I expose myself to his truth, it says in John 8 that his truth will set me free. And so then when I sit with him and I see him for who he really is and I see how big he really is, my enemies begin to disappear. I'm telling you, that's the, that's the God honest truth. That's, that's the power of the word. But I want to I give you a couple of beautiful examples of how this has played out. Uh, Jesus is brilliant because I think Jesus picked up Psalm 23.5 in different parts of the New Testament. Uh, one being Luke chapter 19, verse 5. I think it will pop up on the screen. Luke 19, verse 5. The context of the story is, this is the story about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. That's all I'm doing right there. I'm not going to sing anymore, all right? <laughs> Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Back in the first century, when you thought of a sinner, you thought of a tax collector. They were dogs. They were scum, all right? And let me tell you how this would work, okay? 
So the Roman uh, authority, the Roman power, they want to make their presence known. They want to increase. They want to take over the whole world. And so one of the best ways for them to take over the whole world is to press in and make you pay high taxes. Okay? A little eerie, kind of where we're headed. Mm, maybe we need to sit at the table more. But they, 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 they're going to tax you. So th this is how this works. So the Roman people want to pitch you in oppression. And so they say, we're going to make you pay 70% tax. 70% tax. Are you kidding me? But they don't want to be the bad, bad guys. So they'll hire a tax collector. The tax collector will sit on their behalf and collect your funds. They're not going to listen to you. They're not going to put up with you. We'll find a sucker out on the streets that will be our middleman. But, but let me be honest, Zacchaeus is a smart guy. Zacchaeus sees how the process works and he goes, I'm going to get in on that. People, aren't, people have to pay their taxes regardless. I'm going to charge you 80%. Then I'm going to pocket 10% and give the 70% to the Romans to keep them off my back. Nobody will know. And Zacchaeus is making a profit. But you know what Zacchaeus is also creating? enemies not even sure the people in his own household like him but I want to be serious I want to press into this Zacchaeus has enemies he does not have a safe place he does not have a companion in his life who is pushing him enemies 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 you want to know how bad Zacchaeus' life is. He hears that Jesus is coming into town. He knows he's not going to be received by the people. So you know what he has to do? He has to get out ahead of the crowd and climb a sycamore tree. Now, if you have not seen, I should have had a slide of a sycamore tree. But a sycamore tree is phenomenal. It's like the dream come true of all trees. You can climb it. It's got those branches everywhere. And it is just so covered that you can actually be in a sycamore tree and no one can see you. When I was a boy, and I would become overwhelmed, and this is, this is interesting, and sometime I'll share a different story with you, but sometimes when I became overwhelmed, I would go into my backyard, in the far corner, backyard of my, there was a tree in the corner of my backyard, and I would climb that tree and I would stay up there for hours until I felt safe again. It would have been a dream for me to have a sycamore tree. <laughs> Zacchaeus climbs the tree. Just picture it. He wants to see what this Jesus, he, he keeps hearing about this Jesus. And you know, deep down inside, Zacchaeus is dying spiritually. He doesn't even believe, but spiritually he's going, my life is empty. I'm I'm nothing. His pockets are full and he's empty. What is this Jesus character about? I don't know. I'll go see if I can see him. And I, I love it. I love it. What a, so Jesus is walking along. Zacchaeus' heartbeat is up in his throat. He's like, oh my gosh, he's close. He's right there. I can hear him. I can see him. And Jesus stops and Zacchaeus is like, what's, what's he doing? Get out of here. Dude, get, move, like... Oh, no, he's looking up. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come on down. 
for I'm going to your house today. Do you know what I think Jesus is saying? I have prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. What's our excuse? Wow. Think about that. Luke 19.10 says, salvation has come into this house. Why? Because Jesus said, I have prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And Zacchaeus saw Jesus that day and said, I'm in. I'm in. Let's do this. Let's go. Wow. How about another one? We got time? I'm doing good on time. All right. We're not going to go short. I could go short, but we're not going to go short. I like it. I still got 10 minutes, man. Let's go. How about the prodigal son? Oh, whoa. Dad, I wish you were dead. I want your money because I got a life to live. When the prodigal son said that to his dad, please understand the first century culture was they lived in community. So he didn't only just offend the dad, he offended the community. What? What was he, did he really say that? Oh, be gone with him then, be gone. He's no good then. If that's what he really said to you, dad, be done with him. Let him just, let him go. And you know what? I think everybody in the community was like, I hope he never comes back. Seriously. If he did something like that to you, I hope he's gone for good. Except for the dad. <laughs> Are you kidding me? The dad's like looking across the horizon, looking for the familiar silhouette, and the whole time the community's going, why do you care? Why? Look what he, he, he said he wished you were dead. And you're going to keep looking? Are you like, hello? The dad would just walk out. The dad would just walk out. The dad would just walk out. The son is at his lowest moment and says, you know what? My dad's servants are living better than I am. I'm going to go back and just ask my dad if I can be a servant. And let's just, for the sake of conversation, I should probably know this, but I don't. But let's just say he's got 60 miles to get back home. Do you know how many times he rehearsed that speech? Like, he knows how to emphasize the T's in this speech. He knows where to pause for effect. I mean, he's got this thing down to a T so that when his dad sees him, he's going to have one of the best sermons ever. And the dad sees him. The dad goes out. No. 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 And what does the dad do? A picture of Jesus that is only the only picture in there, hiking up his robe and running. Throws his arms around his son. The son doesn't even get to complete the speech. I would love to hear it. I wish it was in here because I bet you it's good. 
And the dad's like, no, no, no. My son's home. Get the fattened calf. Get the best wine. Because I'm going to prepare a table for my son in the presence of his enemies. That's you and I. You want to talk about steadfast love? He really does like me. And he doesn't stop. He doesn't stop. You want to know something? Do you think the guests who are there at this festival are there for the son? No. You know why they're there? To celebrate the faithfulness of the father. They are only there because the dad said, come. They are not there for the prodigal son. And the father says, I don't care who my enemies are. I don't care who your enemies are. I have made a table. I have prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. All right, one more. One more. We got seven. All right, here we go. I wasn't going to do this one, but this is a bonus. All right. Mark chapter 6. This is really cool. So, so uh, Jesus is now creating some popularity in his preaching. And so uh, Herod is confused. Like he's getting the conversation. They're like, is this John the Baptist resurrected? Who is this cat? So in fact, he sends some Pharisees out to Jesus. Luke 13, verse 32. All right, uh, it's not on the screen because I'm telling you it was a bonus. So here we go. But Luke 13, 32, uh, Herod uh, sends Pharisees to Jesus and they said, Jesus, Herod wants to kill you. Enemies? Enemies? And you know what Jesus says? I love, you need to, you need to, you need to read Luke 13, 32 today. I mean, you might want to get it tattooed across your back. It's amazing. And he says, you tell Herod that fox that I'm doing healing and I'm changing lives and on the third day, I will complete my mission. Wow. So back to Mark 6. So the Pharisees, Herod is like upset and so the disciples are like, hey Jesus, like we need to cool it off a little bit. All right, if you got Herod, you, you know what Herod did to John the Baptist? Jesus, like, let's disappear for a little bit. Do you know what Jesus does in the context of Mark 6? You know the very next story in Mark 6? I think I'm going to feed over 5,000 people. And I am going to prepare a table for them in the presence of my enemy. What? He must really like me. And if there's a more critical time in our life today to sit at the table, it starts today. Because I'm telling you, if you don't sit at the table, you're going to start believing the lies. You want to know what's happening in our world right now? Nobody knows what to believe. No, Jesus, by the way, let's make this clear. Jesus said that th this was going to happen. We should not be shocked. Like, what? Jesus said, it's right there in the Gospels. There's no, there's no hidden message here. It was going to happen. And Jesus even said to his disciples, hey, if you sit at my table, you will have problems. Because the enemies are real and they do exist. But here's the deal. We don't even know who to believe. And you, want, you want to know what's going on in our world? People are losing their minds emotionally and mentally. You know why? 
because they're not exposed to the truth. They are not exposed to the truth, friends. I'm telling you, the truth will set you free, and that's the only thing that's going to set you free. It is absolutely critical that we sit at the table. I'm telling you, I'm pleading with you, sit at the table. Sit at the table and let his truth, let him tell you who you are. Psalm 23, 5, there's two promises. When you and I sit at the table, there's two promises. You know what they are? Number one, he will anoint you. You know what that means? He will tell you who you are. And you know what he says about you? You are my beloved. Well, Lord, nope, nope, nope. My table, my table. I call the shots. You are my beloved. You are my son in whom I am well pleased. You are my daughter in whom I am well pleased. But Lord, no, no, my table, my table. I love when he does the conversation. Because let me tell you, there, are, there is no condemnation at his table. If you're sitting at the table and there's condemnation, you're at the wrong table. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's only my beloved. I have invited you to the banqueting table and my banner over you is love. Okay, three verses. Listen to these. So you may still be sitting here going, well, but JT... Here's where I'm at. Okay, good. Then I've got some verses for you. Okay? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. They're going to pop up on the screen. Since Jesus himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help you when you are being tested. He must really like me. Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16. So then, since we have a great high priest whose name is Jesus, who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Hold firmly to what we believe. Got to sit at the table. And let's keep getting that confession deeper and more truth. The high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings that we do yet he did not sin that's why we want to come to his table not my table his table so let us come boldly i love this let us come with courage to the throne of our gracious god and these two words these two phrases oh it's so good it's like a big old t-bone steak there we will receive his mercy, his mercy, and we will find grace. Mercy, grace. Mercy, grace. Do you understand both of those are gifts that we do not deserve that he gives to us? That's good. To help us when we need it most. More. You guys have been fun. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 2, and he will deal gently with us. Even in our ignorance and our wayward ways. What? Whoa, whoa, I get the ignorance, but you're saying you're going to even deal gently with us when we go wayward? Yes, I will. You know why? Because he understands our weaknesses. I am so glad that Jesus came down in human flesh. It's my only saving factor. 
I can only sit at his table because he took on human flesh and he did not sin and he took all of my sin, shame, guilt, condemnation upon himself. And you know what he said on the cross? It is finished. Oh, friends, we come before you, the Lord Almighty. Oh, we come to his table. So here's what I want to do to finish up our time real quickly. If you have not come to the table, if you have not made a decision in your heart to come to the table, I'm just going to say it as honest as I can. You have no excuses. You have no, none. None of your excuses are good enough for the beauty and the majesty of his table. He knows you inside and out. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your struggles. And he looks at you and he says, oh, but I want you to come and sit at my table. And so if you have not declared in your heart the fact that you are a sinner and you need a savior, today's a good day. Today, salvation has come. Today, salvation has come. You don't need to clean up your act. You just need to say, I need Jesus. Jesus will take care of the rest. You just come to the table. Let him do what he does. He's a master at it. Trust him. He'll get you through it. And so I'm just, we're going to pray. Before I pray, though, I'm going to say the word to the second people. You have opened up the door, and you have let him come in, and you have gone a while without sitting at the table. What I want to say to you is today salvation has come to you as well. Tomorrow is of the enemy. Today is of the Lord. Today is the day. So may you rededicate yourself to make it a priority. And you may ask yourself the question, what do I read? Well, let the pastors... And some people around this church help you with that. Do not let pride keep you from the table. With humility, seek somebody out and say, where can I start? So, in the spirit of prayer, with your heads bowed, if there's anybody here today that wants to just let us know that you want to come to the table, just raise your hand. And we will celebrate with you. And we will encourage you to the best of our ability. Let's pray. Dear Father, you have invited us to your table. And your banner over us is love. You really do like us. There is nothing, according to Romans 8, there is nothing that separates us from your love. Nothing. And so this morning, Lord, I declare that if there's somebody here for the first time, he says, I want to sit at that table. I want to sit at the table. That they would raise their hands right now and make that a declaration. Amen. Amen. May that be the sweetest place to start. Dear Father, we come before you in need of a savior and you said I am and I just pray that we would discipline ourselves to sit at your table and to allow you to speak be still and know that I am Lord 
And may we see you in ways that we've never seen you before. And may our enemies just disappear. Oh, Lord, we have declared your word. We have declared your love today. Be pleased and honor in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.